today we're starting a brand new series, and I'm really excited about it. Uh, there's, this little, there's this little holiday that's stuck right between a really busy fall and an overcrowded Christmas, and maybe you've heard of it. It's called Thanksgiving. Anybody, anybody familiar? I, I know you, you can't, there's, there's not an aisle at Walmart that you can go and look for it because it's not there. Uh, I don't know how you sell gratitude, you know, unless you're a turkey farmer or uh, raise cranberries or something, but um, outside of that, there it is. Uh, we're coming close to it, and uh, this is a great season for us to think about the things that we're grateful for, which is what we're going to talk about today and in this series. Uh, this series is called A Song of Thanksgiving. So I'm just going to ask you, if you were going to write a song, what would it, what would it sound like? If you were going to write a song, um, maybe, maybe about gratitude or thank, what you're thankful for, uh, and I thought I'd just give you a, a couple of uh, options. Maybe you're sort of had a tough time, and you're kind of, you know, Taylor Swift's anti-hero. Maybe you're, maybe you're in that, in that genre, or, or maybe something a little more inspirational. Rihanna, "Lift Me Up." How many of you looking forward to the, you know, Black Panther movie? And yeah, any, any Marvel fans? All right, yeah, yeah, four of you. That's great. That's so good. <laughs> so glad. So glad I included that. And uh, maybe you're, maybe I got a feeling right here in Central Alabama. We might have a few more country music fans. So I threw in here um, Kane and Caitlin Brown, thank God. Any, anybody? Nobody? Okay, well, less than four, so that's good. So if you weren't writing a song, because um, maybe you're not musical like me, but you're going to write a list of things that you're thankful for, what would, what would be on it? You know, would it be... I know what it wouldn't be today for any of us. It wouldn't be college football because everybody lost. <laughs> everybody in the state of Alabama lost in overtime. So misery loves company. You know, all God's children can come together and, you know, sort of heal each other today. So it's not that. But would it be like, you know, something simple? Is it like, you know, gummy bears? Like I'm grateful for gummy bears or Band-Aids? Chapstick, man, we're getting to that season, you know. Maybe some of you are like me. You're real thankful for that undo button. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> On the computer, you go, no, 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 undo, 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 undo. I'm very thankful, and I'm almost as thankful for the, you know, re redo, undo the undo. Because I know I didn't mean to erase that. Uh, maybe for you it's um, an extra night's sleep last night. Anybody like that? Makes me wish we could do that every Saturday, you know what I mean? Of course, we'd back up into the other day, so it would eventually not work. It'd be Friday, you know, or something. Maybe you're grateful for uh, bigger things, like um, sunrise. Maybe you're thankful for good health, you know, those things you can't really, you can't really replace. Maybe you're thankful for your family. So, so whatever, whatever would be on your list... I want to turn you to Psalm 103. King David, the greatest king in all of Israel's history, wrote this psalm. And I just want to read to you how he started it, and then we'll actually look at some of the things that are on his list. Psalm 103, verse 1, he says, Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. And I think it's such an interesting way to start because we read here who his audience is. He's not writing to um, Israel. He's not writing to his military. He's not writing to um, even to God. He's writing to his own soul. 
And what that tells me is sometimes even our own soul won't do the things that are best for it to do without some help. And so he's trying to help his own soul. He's trying to encourage his own soul. And sometimes we need to remember that even doing the things that, we, that would help us aren't automatic, and they have to be done intentionally. And so that's what he's looking for here. He begins to talk to his own soul. Sometimes we have to talk to our soul. I think gratitude is in the category that it's going to take some intentional talking to our own soul to get there. Because we're not, can we say it? Most people aren't naturally grateful. I'm not naturally grateful. Maybe you're not naturally grateful. But the more we practice gratitude, the more grateful our hearts become. And if we don't practice gratitude, our hearts become dull and numb and calloused and insensitive and uh, uh, rough and not, and not pliable. Psalm 103 is a great encouragement to practice gratitude. All 22 verses of this chapter are praise to God. There's no um, prayer request. There's no intercession. There are no questions like, God, why this? When are you going to do this? There's just 22 verses of praise and gratitude to God, of just pure worship. It kind of reminds me, uh, several years ago, uh, we, we did something on a Sunday morning. A few of you may remember it, but we were trying to um, model for the children in our church uh, what worship is and try to, try to include children in our church. So on a Sunday morning, we had our entire worship team here, and we had a, a child stand beside each worship team member. I don't, know, I don't know if you even, some of you might remember this, and worship alongside the worship team. And I loved every minute of it because when you could look at everybody on the worship team, all the adults with the microphones, all the worship, and you see these little kids beside them, you know, look up, and they'd raise it and they'd go, you know, is this, is this right? And what was so cool to me is it was like a moment of pure worship. Because those children only had one thing on their mind in that moment. And it was just like, how do, how do I do this? How do I, how, do I, how do I worship God? How do I give God all my attention? And that's really what gratitude is. We get so buried in life. We get so overwhelmed with the details of life, we forget to look at God. We have to have a time to disconnect from the pressures of our life and just give Him our attention. And I think this Thanksgiving season is a great time for us to do that. So we don't know the circumstances that this psalm was written in. We don't know, you know how, how it came about. But we do know that it started with King David talking to his own soul. Watch this. And then as you get near the end of the chapter... It moves into inviting angels and creation to praise God and all of us. Now, here's what that tells me. Gratitude produces incredible perspective. Like we oftentimes are so busy, we're looking at life like this. We're so to the next thing and the next thing and what we've got to get done and get through this day that we miss the big picture. We miss the perspective. But when you practice gratitude, it opens your eyes. When you give God your attention, you begin to see the big picture. 
You begin to look up and look, look to see what he's seeing. So here's King David's gratitude list. Are you ready? We're going to um, unpack these verses every week for the next few weeks leading to Thanksgiving. Psalm 103, verse 2. Praise the Lord. Here he goes again. My soul. And forget not all his benefits. David, David calls the things that he's grateful for benefits. Who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's wings. Imagine, he's telling his soul this. He's saying this to his soul. Praise the Lord, my soul. Don't forget all these things that God does. And the first one is where we're going to start today. Who forgives all your sins. What does it mean that God forgives sins? What, what is what is sin? Well, there's an interesting story in the New Testament, an event in Jesus' life that, that shows us something about sin that I want to share with you today. Uh, Jesus was in a house. He was teaching. It was crowded. There was no way to, there was no more room in the house. There was a crowd outside the house. You couldn't even get next to it. You couldn't get in the window. You couldn't get in the door. And so these four guys had a friend who was paralyzed on a cot. And they just believe if they could figure out a way to get him to Jesus, that something good would happen. Like something would change. And so they tore a hole in the roof. They climbed up on the roof of the house. They dug a hole through the roof. They lowered the man down on his little bed, his little cot, who's paralyzed, to the floor in front of Jesus. And, and, and watch what Jesus says in Mark chapter 2, 5. He says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, I don't know if that strikes you as odd. It strikes me as very odd. Why, why would you say to a paralyzed guy lowered through the roof at your feet, your, sons are, your sins are forgiven? That's like you and I you know, going to um, the ICU unit and visiting someone in ICU who's dying and saying to them, hey, by the way, I, I, I want you to know I closed your blinds at home. Just want you to know, I know you're worried about that. I handled it. This guy's saying, maybe he's saying, maybe he's thinking, it sounds to me, my sins, man, I'm paralyzed. <laughs> I want to walk. You know, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. And, and here's what's interesting about this event. Um, the religious leaders didn't like it. And watch this. They thought to themselves, Jesus knew their thoughts somehow. But they thought to themselves, who does this guy think he is? He can't forgive sins. He doesn't have the authority to forgive sin. Who does he think he is? He can't just walk in here and just proclaim somebody's sins forgiven. Only God can do that, and so they didn't think he was God. So Jesus responded, watch, to their thoughts that they didn't even say in verse 9. Which is easier, to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take up your mat, and go home. What is he saying? The greatest problem in the room is not that this guy's paralyzed. The greatest problem in the room is sin. And so what Jesus is saying is, I'm going to take care of the lesser problem to prove that I have the authority to take care of the greater problem. 
That, that's what he's saying. Now, <laughs> we can back up from that for a minute and say, man, can you imagine a world with no sickness and no disease? Wouldn't that be a better world? Hey, I can tell you, my immediate family has struggled with disease after disease after disease. I would love for there to be a world with no disease. However, it's not the biggest problem. It's not the greatest problem. So before we label sin as like this old-fashioned concept that your grandmother puts on you to try to get you to stop from saying bad words, let's back up for a minute and look at it. Sin is what is wrong with the world. So, so let's imagine for a minute a world with no sin. What would that look like? If the world had no sin, all war would end. There'd be no Ukraine war. There'd be no nation invading other nations. There'd be no children blown up in the street. There'd be no terrorism. Imagine, just take that one thing out. Just take war out. No soldiers would die. No, no parents would ever have to say goodbye to their son or daughter because they got killed in war. War would be gone if there was no sin. There would be enough food, shelter, and medicine for everyone because people would share. And everyone would be productive because there'd be no sin. There'd be no, and this is, I mean, I hate to, you know, in an evil way say this might be one of my favorite. There'd be no need for a, a pen a password or a code to anything. Because I can't, I lock myself out of more things and can't get back in. It's so effective for me because, you know, on me, I can't get into half of what I have access to. You know why it'd be unnecessary? Because nobody would ever steal again. Imagine how much your life you waste signing into stuff. You know why? Sin. That's why. And what if um, we could imagine a world where most trauma was gone? Because there'd be no uh, physical abuse, there'd be no emotional abuse, there'd be no mental abuse, and there'd be no sexual abuse. Imagine if you could just eliminate those how much better the world would be. What if, what if, what if, uh, if there was no sin, there'd be no gossip? There'd, there'd be nobody talking bad about each other. Imagine how that would change social media. Come on, Jesus. We need help. Uh, imagine if no one ever lied again. What would press conferences be? I mean, what would we even talk about? Imagine if there, if there were no lies. Imagine how relationships would change. Imagine if there were no sin, there would be no hatred. There'd be no racism. Racism is sin. It'd be gone. Rejection would be gone. This, 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 this isn't a, a word for your grandmother. This is a big deal. There'd be no greed. There'd be no selfishness. 
Can you imagine how much better the economy would be? If you took those out, can you imagine how much better marriages would be and friendships would be if there were no greed or selfishness? This is, this is a big deal. Sin is what is wrong with the world. By the way, sin is what's wrong with us. Now, now, now listen, sin has polluted our minds and it's broken our soul and it's wounded our emotions and it's damaged our mental health and it's caused sickness and anxiety and it breaks relationship and it causes us to chase the wrong dreams. That's, that's what happens. It's not a small thing. That's where fear and rage and shame and rejection and nightmares and betrayal come from. All the pain and suffering in the world come from sin. You did, you're not, Jesus wasn't joking around when he said, your sins are forgiven. This is the big deal. You, you look, you can go to heaven sick. You can't go to heaven unforgiven. This is the big deal. In the Old Testament, there are 22, 22 different words. So the Old Testament's written in Hebrew, and a lot of times when you translate something from one language to another, you lose nuance. So when you translate the word sin or the words for sin from Hebrew to English, they might mostly translate into one or two or three words. And we read it and we go, oh, well, I know what that is because we have one definition in our mind. But in the Old Testament, there are 22 different words for sin. And when we translate them to English, they show up sin or iniquity or something like that, and we lose the nuance. But there's a word in the Old Testament for sin that means accidental sins. You ever do any of those? It's like you say, why did I say that? <laughs> Wish I would not have said that. God help my mouth. I wish I wouldn't have thought that. These are accidental things. Then there are sins that are crossing the line, like rebellion, hatred, stealing, murder. There, there, there's a word for sin in the Old Testament that means, oops, I blew it. <laughs> there, there's a word that means missing the target. Another one that means I got deceived. Another one that means creepy bad. Not bad, creepy bad. It's creepy bad. Hey, there's another word that means, listen to this, too evil to even mention it. These are the things when families get together in a few weeks at Thanksgiving that no one will talk about. Some of, if not everyone in the family knows it, but no one will talk about it because it's too evil to talk about. These are the things we, listen, we don't, we don't talk about that. Too evil to mention. In Psalm 103, something very interesting happens when David writes, who forgives all our sins. He uses a very unique word, and do you know what that word for sin means in Psalm 103? It encompasses all 22 words. <laughs> it means he forgives all our sin. Accident, creepy, I blew it. We don't mention it in public. He forgives all our sins. And King David should know because at some point or another, King David had committed most of those. And so when he writes this song, man, he's writing from experience. You know a person with an experience is never at the mercy of a person with a theory. How do you know God forgives? <laughs> he forgave me. 
because he forgave me. You should have seen me before. (laughs) He forgave me. So in the Old Testament, there's two words for the word forgiveness. One, uh, two primary words. There are more words, but there are two primary words that when we read forgiveness, it's usually one of these two concepts. The first one means to let go or release. To let go or release. So the idea is if someone hurts you, if someone does wrong to you, this word forgive means I'm going to let them go. I'm going to release them. Uh, You don't owe me anything. I'm not going to try to get revenge on you. I'm not going to try to pay you back. I'm going to do my best to forget this ever happened. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let go. I have no expectation that I'm going to try to get anything from you or that you should be obligated to give anything to me to fix this. I have forgiven you. That's like, and there's an uh, incredible word picture that comes with this, this Hebrew thought. It is um, the idea that you're holding a hot, uh, a pot with a hot handle in your hand. Watch. Watch how interesting this is. The longer you hold it, the more pain that you will endure. So when I hold on to the wrong things that have been done to me, it is like holding a hot-handled pot in my hand. The longer I hold it, the more damage that's going to be done to me and the more it's going to burn. And so forgiveness means I'm going to put the pot down. I'm going to let go of the thing that's burning me. I'm going to let go of the thing that's hurting me. Now, there's one other primary word used in the Old Testament for forgiveness, and it is the one that we see in Psalm 103. It has to do with the king's authority to pardon a criminal. This is a royal authority to forgive. And here's what it means. It means to totally remove. It means to wipe out of the record books. It it means to almost to pretend that it never existed. Erase it from the ledger. Leave no sign that it ever existed. And that's why if you continue to read in Psalm 103, if you read further down into verse 9, that's why David wrote this. Listen to this. Because he used this word uh, to totally remove. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. Look, as far as the east is from the west, he has removed our transgressions from us. What is he saying there? If you get in a car or boat or plane or whatever you got to do, and you travel to the North Pole, if you go far enough, you're eventually going to hit the North Pole. If you keep going past that, You're actually going to turn and start to head south, and if you keep going, you're going to hit the South Pole. The North and South Pole are connected that way. But if you get in some kind of vehicle and you start heading west, you can go west forever and you'll never go east. You can't go west far enough that you'll go east. So what does that mean? That's how far away God has taken your sin away from you. That's how far he's taken my sin away from me. It'll never be seen again. You can't go far enough into God's forgiveness that you'll run into your sin again. You'll you'll never get there. You'll never go east. Forgiveness means completely removed. So this morning, I just want to wrap up, and I want to give you three thoughts about God's forgiveness that will help us I think practice gratitude. Number one, 
God's forgiveness is stronger than all your sin. All of us have experienced the pain of sin. We've experienced the pain of our own sin, and we've experienced the pain of other people's sins against us. When, when we say something or do something or dwell on um, harmful thoughts, we begin to feel guilty or heavy or not very valuable or just like, like we're a bad person. And these voices of condemna- condemnation just begin to flood in our life when we, you know, oops, I blew it or we don't mention this in public or I missed the target or whatever the sin is. When we begin to participate in these things, this, this, uh, this funk comes over us. And these condemning voices start to whisper into our ear and they say things like, there you go again. I thought thought you were done with this. You've gone too far. You'll never be free. This is just who you are. You might as well accept it. But there's one powerful truth and it is this that David was thanking God for. Forgiveness is stronger than all our sin and God actually sent Jesus Christ to take the burden of that weight off of you and off of me so we don't have to carry it. Number two, God's forgiveness will grow your love for Him. See, without forgiveness, there, without forgiveness, there can't be love. Without forgiveness, there can't be love. People who don't understand the forgiveness of God do not love Him. I'll show you an example. In the New Testament, there's this uh, woman who was broken, uh, deeply broken. She had committed terrible sins, and a lot of them. But she met Jesus. And she, when she met Jesus, she found His grace and she found His forgiveness. And Jesus was at this dinner party at a religious leader's house, and she broke in, sort of, and started um, doing these uh, incredible sacrificial acts of love and honor to Jesus. And of course, the religious leaders didn't like that because religious people don't like grace. I don't know if you know that. Luke seven forty seven, and Jesus said this, Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, watch, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves Little. What, what was Jesus saying there? Forgiveness freed her to know true love, and it was the proof that she had received true love because how much she was loving Jesus back. The religious leaders couldn't understand that because they didn't have any love for Jesus because they didn't think they needed forgiveness. They were depending on their own good work, their own morality, their own their own philosophy of life. They were depending on being faithful to the code that they made up. That's what's going to do it. And can I just tell you, I can't think of a more relevant word in the day we're living in than that one right there. We are flush with people making up their own philosophy of life and then trying to figure out how to be faithful to their own philosophy of life and thinking because they're doing that, they're earning for themselves a good enough life and they don't need forgiveness from God. That's where we're living. That's what, the, that's what the philosophy is that's pressing against Christianity now. I'm, I'm right in my own action. I'm right in my own activity. I'm right in my own morality. I'm right in my own thinking. 
It's just new Phariseeism. It's, it's a new religion. That's all it is. It's just custom made for each individual. Everybody can have their own version. It's actually just a more selfish version because, you know, what's true for you is not true for me. And I found my own truth. And, and, and in the middle of this, though, we get the truth. <laughs> we get a revelation of the truth. The religious leaders didn't like it. They didn't love Jesus because they didn't think they needed forgiveness. They thought their lifestyle, they thought their habits, they thought their philosophy, they thought their morality was what was, was bringing them to a place that they didn't need anything from God. Here's one thing I know about uh, God's love and grace. You're never going to understand what God has done for you until you understand what you've done. Right? And once you understand what you've done, and what I mean by that is we've all participated in sin. Everybody's, you know, what's wrong with the world came from us. It wasn't those people over there. It wasn't them. It wasn't they. <laughs> it's us. What's wrong with the world came from us. You know, it's not, it's not those Democrats. It's not those Republicans. It's us. It'd be so much easier if we could just blame somebody else. Do you know, um, do you know the person in our church that, that loves God the most? I actually know who it is. You, anybody want to know? You're like, I'm not sure we should be talking about this. <laughs> the person in our church that loves God the most is the person who believes that they deserve his forgiveness the least. Because there's nothing about you and there's nothing about me that earned God's forgiveness. We couldn't achieve it. We couldn't, couldn't figure it out. I can tell you who in our church loves God the least. The one who believes that they either deserve or don't need God's forgiveness. Because where there's no forgiveness, there's no love. Love and forgiveness are connected. So, 1 to 10, a little test for those of you online. You can take this test. It's easy. 1 to 10, 10's like the most, 1's like the least. How much do you believe that you deserve or need God's forgiveness? How much do you believe you deserve it or need it? And whatever number you put on there, if you're honest, if you're not, remember Jesus knows your thoughts. We already went over that. Wherever you put it on there, that's where your love for God is. Your love for God's at the same level. Nothing will grow your love for God like a fresh understanding of His forgiveness. Number three, and that brings us to like the point, God's forgiveness is a gift. Thank God. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. God doesn't forgive you. Listen, this is sort of a popular way to try to mix Christianity with modern philosophy. God doesn't forgive you because He feels sorry for you. And He doesn't forgive you because, even because He has compassion for you. There's only one basis for the forgiveness of God. 
It's the death and suffering of His own Son, Jesus Christ. And other than that, there's no source of forgiveness. We're, we're, we're hopeless. We're lost. We're broken forever. There's no way. There's no way. I don't care how long you've gone to church. It doesn't matter. You got nothing. And, it, and we can't paint God as this, you know, soft-hearted God that just, you know, will sort of ooze all over the people of the world because he feels so bad for everybody. No, it's through the death. And he's, his son suffered the death. He didn't get sniped. He wasn't just taken out. He suffered to death. To death. If your sin and my sin's not such a big deal, why did he have to suffer to death? Is it some old-timey phrase? Your sin killed Jesus. Your sin killed him. My sin killed him. She's not talking about, you know, some out-of-date, old-fashioned concept. Man, sin's as ugly as it's ever been. It's as bad as it's ever been. And Jesus, listen, forgiveness is as good as it's ever been. And it's as free as it's ever been. It's free, but it's not cheap. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. You can't be good enough, long enough to get it. But God will give it to you. He'll just give it to you. And I think that's what trips people up. Isn't there something I'm supposed to do? I'm supposed to be a member of something? Don't I need a code or a password or a, you know, set up a profile? Don't I got to do something? I've been bad. Can I do I have to be good for a while first? No, 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 you can't. If you could, his death is wasted. Man, he will just give it to you. Hey, and, and by the way, that goes for, you know, Christians too. Somehow we think, you know, well, you know, I, I prayed when I was at kids camp and I was, you know, nine, you know. Forget all the other 30 years after that. You know, I, I've been a Christian as long as I can remember or, I, or whatever. I've been a Christian for two years. I got saved. I did, I'm done. You're not done. And Jesus' forgiveness isn't done with you. As far as the east is from the west, man, he'll just keep forgiving. He'll keep forgiving. And every time he forgives, you get better and you get stronger and your peace gets greater and your joy flows fuller. Because that's, that's who he is. David, and here's what you need to do sometimes. You need to remind your soul of that. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. <laughs> Forget not all his benefits. Because he forgives all my sin, past, present, future, big, small, every type. John Newton, the author of uh, probably the song of the church that's been sang more than any other song, Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace. 
John Newton was uh, uh, an evil uh, ship captain of a slave ship that transported slaves. But he met Jesus. And Jesus changed his life. And at the end of his life, he said this. He said, although my memory is fading, I remember two things very clearly. I am a great sinner and Christ is a great Savior. <laughs> Would you stand with me this morning? Hey, if you're online today with us, our prayer team is live. And we'd love to pray with you right now. So if you need prayer, just jump in the comment section and just type out what your prayer need is. If you need grace today, we want to pray for you. This morning, we're going um, to sing that song that John Newton wrote. And as we sing it, I want to ask you just to, just to focus on what God's forgiveness means. Now look, you may have been a Christian for 40 years. You may have been a Christian for the last six months or year. You may not even know where you stand in that relationship. It's okay. I invite you all, as we sing this song, to think, what does God's forgiveness mean, mean for me? Lord, I thank you today that you are bold and courageous and gracious. And Lord, you don't hold anything back. And I thank you that you are a, a forgiver and a healer and a grace giver. And today, Lord, we're, we're going to sing a song in some ways to our own soul and remind our soul today that you, you offer such a generous benefit, such a generous forgiveness and healing and grace. And every one of us, every one of us need it, regardless of our journey. So, Lord, we thank you today for the grace of God we thank you today for the forgiveness we have in Jesus Christ. And we give you, we give you honor for it today in Jesus' name. Sing the song with our worship team.